Okay. Welcome everybody to another edition of Legal Tech Week. It is uh, October 6, 2023, and this is the show where we pull together a panel of legal tech journalists and bloggers to talk about the top stories of the week in legal tech and innovation. I'm Bob Ambrogi. I uh, have the blog Law Sites and the podcast Law Next. And uh, our panelists today are, uh, let's see, Jean, uh, you want to kick it off? Okay. I'm Jean O'Grady. I write the Dewey B Strategic blog, which covers research, KM, and all sorts of other things. And I also write a column for Legal Tech Hub. And uh, Stephanie Wilkins. Hello, I am Stephanie Wilkins, Editor-in-Chief of Legal Tech News at ALM. Joe Patrice. Joe Patrice from Above the Law and Thinking Like a Lawyer podcast. And uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy to be here again. All right. And how about Steve Embry? Hey, happy to be here as well. Steve Embry. I write the blog Tech Law Crossroads about technology, innovation, and various and sundry things. Right, and last but never least, Nikki Black. Uh, hi, all. I'm Nikki Black. I am the head of SME and external education at My Case and Law Pay. I write legal tech columns for ABA Journal, Above Law, the New York Daily Record, and I also oversee and author uh, My Case and Law Pay's uh, three benchmark reports each year, and then our uh, annual legal industry report. All right, well, uh, just gonna start off this week, I think on a little bit of a, a somber note, I just wanna, Note that uh, we learned this week uh, of the death of Michael Mills. Uh, Michael was the founder, uh, co-founder of Neota Logic. Uh, he was somebody who was extremely well known throughout the legal tech community. Uh, he was Richard Susskind uh, once called him the leading global figure in law firm technology, uh, and many others uh, have. Uh, left tributes for him this week. Um, I, I think of Michael uh, often in, in the context of AI, because back when the whole rest of the world was talking about AI, Michael was out there talking about AI, uh, wrote a lot of the early articles about how lawyers could be using AI in their practices. He, he developed this uh, wonderful sort of map of, of, of AI and legal that uh, uh, you know, if you were at any legal tech conference uh, five or six years ago, you were seeing on an every PowerPoint slide that was being projected around there. Uh, and he was just also just a like a just super. He was also a former uh, president of the College of Law Practice Management. Should should note that as well. But just a brilliant, but just super nice, super generous, super friendly, helpful guy who uh, I had the you know good opportunity to interview him a number of times over the year and hang out with him at, at some conferences here and there. And uh, very sorry to, to see him uh, pass. And, and uh, I see uh, O's has just put the uh, link to there's his memorial site there in the uh, in the chat. But uh, there's a, an obituary uh, uh, on that site written by Jeff Rovner that's uh, a, a, a really uh, beautifully, beautifully written tribute to to Michael and into his life uh, and to uh, everything he did. So, uh, sorry on that note. 
Yeah, and I, I'd just like to add that he's, he was just known for being incredibly, just an incredible mentor and generous with his time and always, you know, even though I, even when I wasn't so directly involved in legal tech, when it was more research, he often was like show, willing to show me things and, you know, spend time with me to explain what he was doing at Neota. I just, I really, you know, he, he really will be missed. Yeah, he really liked to help people understand, uh, uh, you know, not not just what he was doing, but but how you know the, the context and and uh, and how it fit into other things. And I'm really, uh, really, uh, really sorry to see him go. Um, on a on a brighter note, I guess we could mention that we're we're all off to uh, most of us are all now. Gene, you're probably not. Are you going to? Uh, we're all going to. Uh, Nashville no. uh, over the weekend. Uh, most of us for CleoCon. Nikki, not for CleoCon, but for the uh, American Legal Technology Awards, which will be on the eve of CleoCon, Sunday night in Nashville. Um, and uh, and it's also, uh, there's a conference, uh, I don't know if anybody else is going to the KM and Innovation Conference later in the week, next week in New York City. Uh, Stephanie, I think somebody from... Uh, Legal Tech News is going to be there, I heard. Uh, yeah, sure Isha, I think. Yeah. yeah, she's the other one in New York, so I would guess so. <laughs> yeah, good. And uh, CleoCon, uh, I think we all we all kind of look forward to that conference. I, I put up a little piece this morning, uh, a little a little bit tongue in cheek, only because I, I happened to talk to Jack Newton uh, yesterday about what's what what to expect at CleoCon and. Uh, what was funny to me was that they are going to be handing out maps, physical, <laughs> physical maps, uh, as well as maps in the app and, and other signs and guideposts, I guess, to help people get around. Uh, I, I, for one, found the facility last year to be Byzantine and, and uh, there were any number of people that I ran into at CleoCon last year who were like, I'm lost. How do I get to wherever? Uh, it, it's so true, but I will say, having had multiple conferences there now, I now understand it. But it took it took going back there a few times for me to figure it out. Oh, I, I feel sorry for you, Joe. It's, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, anyway, this is uh, this is their second year, and uh, I, I liked uh, Jack's analogy. He said, "You know, these are they, they do these two year cycles, these two year TikTok cycles, as he called them, uh, of going to uh, different cities every two years." And the first year is always a little bit of a tick, but the second year is a talk, which I guess is a good thing. So we'll be we'll all be talking in Nashville uh, next week, I think. <laughs> well, can, can uh, I give a shout out to Nikki? Had Nikki and Yuren had the Legal Tech Hub conference in New York during the massive floods and they had to continuously reschedule everybody because although people's planes landed nobody could get from LaGuardia into lower Manhattan so I, I think for logistics they deserve a lot of kudos and they also had I actually thought Richard Susskind was going to be there but he was there remotely so ah uh, all right did they have buckets were there yeah lots of buckets good all right, well, uh, to get to the stories of the week, um, actually, uh, not surprisingly, we have a few AI-related stories this week uh, for a change, just to break things up a little bit. Uh, but uh, 
Nikki, it was interesting because uh, I was I had written about a couple of things this week, and I was kind of sort of debating what I wanted to talk about. But then uh, uh, you uh, you took a, something I was thinking about talking about and, and talked about it on an even grander scale and broader level. So I wonder if you wanted, why don't we start with uh, what you were what you wrote about this week? All right. Well, I wrote about um, prompt engineering and efforts to educate lawyers and law students um, and other legal professionals on prompt engineering and it was more sort of a, is it necessary? What's being done right now to sort of fill this stopgap time where it probably is necessary? And also just what does the future of it look like? And, and the reason that I ended up writing this article was um, because just by happenstance, two different, one person reached out to me who lives here in Rochester because he'd spoken with you, Bob. And I think you had said, well, Nikki's right there in Rochester. So I had coffee with him. And then shortly thereafter, or maybe around the same time, um, PR agency reached out to me about Alto Claro. So I, it was Alto Claro and um, uh, Skill Burst. Um, sink, sink, burst, what is that? Skill, skill, skill burst. burst. Skill Burst, Skill Burst, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, so I decided to write a piece that focused on, you know, not just, you know, including their efforts, their educational efforts and their programs they're launching along with um, what's happening in law schools, because to me, there's like a tie in there. Um, <clears throat> and one of them, them initially launched uh, with a law school summer associates, uh, the uh, Alto Claro one. So I thought that was just an interesting um, overview. And essentially, it's just this idea that um, right now, prompt engineering and understanding how to craft a prompt is really critical in terms of getting the results that you want out of these generative AI tools, especially the commercially available ones versus the ones in legal software, because the ones in legal software oftentimes sort of have that prompt engineering in the background and they're delivering up options to you just to kind of click on and pick. But right now it really is important in terms of getting the output you need to ask the right questions and ask them in the right way. Uh, and also teaching you how to do that kind of introduces you to the concept of generative AI. So, um, <clears throat> A few law schools are taking the proactive approach of actually educating their students about it, training them how to use, um, teaching them how to use it and the cost and benefits, not just forbidding them from using it, which I think is a little unrealistic. And then Skillburst and Alta Claro have both rolled out different types of interactive educational programs in sort of similar contexts, like serving a similar um, market. Uh, and they each have, um, like Skillburst has partnerships uh, a consortium, I think they call it, with like at least 10 larger law firms, large and mid-sized firms. And then um, uh, Alto Claro's worked with Oric, and uh, that was one that made the news look quite a bit later this summer. A couple of us have covered that. Um, and so I think it's really interesting. And, and I also asked both of them, you know, this is going to change quickly. Like, what do you, you know, it's one thing to roll out a course and plop it down and then just have it be evergreen and they both have lots of plans to continue to update this as the market changes and as the need for this particular skill set compared to others changes relating to generative AI. So I thought that was all really interesting. And also, I mean, I, I think realistically, just like, you know, HTML helps with blogging, you know, if ever your blog posts look weird, it's helpful to go into the back end and remove a bunch of weird, you know, um, spaces or brackets that get put in there. And just like with Boolean searches and natural language, sometimes it helps to go into the advanced search and add some Boolean components or even do a Boolean search when it's just not getting at what you want. So I think it's the same idea with generative AI and the prompt, um, uh, prompt engineering. 
it helps to understand it because it helps you understand what the tool is actually doing. There may be opportunities down the road when you no longer need to understand prompt engineering because the software is going to have all sorts of options built in for you. But maybe you're going to be allowed to tweak it on the back end or have access to the back end to fix issues, just like you do with um, natural search and uh, Boolean or blogging and HTML. So I thought I think it's an interesting issue, but I do think eventually, and that eventually is going to happen kind of quickly. This may not even be something we need to think about for too long, but for now, I think it's important. And I thought those were some interesting efforts to educate lawyers and legal professionals about it. At law yeah, school, I would, uh, yeah, oh, oh, I was just going to say, law school really did uh, in my in back in my day. Uh, hashtag okay, boomer. Uh, but back in my day, we it was kind of a slow. Um, indirect prompt engineering class, right? Like everything involved <laughs> you going into Westlaw and Lexis and typing in your Boolean searches and figuring out what, what would get you what you wanted. Uh, and then when natural language came out, we all, you know, future generations didn't know how to do that. Um, and that's to Nikki's point that this is going to go away probably relatively quickly as new things happen. Uh, but I also feel when I deal with legal researchers on the younger side that they're wrong more uh, because they rely on natural language when being able to get into the back end and be, be not even the, not even get into the back end but being able to imagine what a boolean search would look like helps you when you see do a natural language search that gets the wrong results be like oh that's because they probably want me to use this word because it's trying to you know and i think it just is so much help of a help to do that yeah it's just like it's the it's the same underlying concept of knowing how to craft a question to get at an answer. And I feel like maybe if you're used to just typing in a thing in Google and people just they give you answers, you've lost that skill of like honing into exactly what you want. And obviously they're different. Boolean searching and prompt engineering yeah. is not the same, but it's a skill set that you can be good at and some are better at than others. And it's just getting at that core of the best way to prompt something to give you the answer it wants. You want. Yeah, I, I totally mm -hmm. agree. I think asking the right question is a course that should be taught in law school because it's going to it's more critical than ever i mean it obviously it applies to a lot of areas of the practice of law but when you're relying on technology you really need to be asking the right question because so much is hidden from you what's that rule of cross-examination never ask a question that you don't know the answer you don't to. know the answer yeah <laughs> i don't know does that work for prompt engineering i don't know uh, but yeah, I had also written about the skill burst and, and I'd also had the Alta Claro guy on my podcast uh, sort of coincidentally in, in the same week. Uh, I, I thought the skill burst one was it was interesting uh, because it's it's actually a, a whole series of courses and, and prompt engineering is part of it. But a, a lot of it's focused on just using this technology responsibly and understanding it responsibly. Uh, and, and, and the fact that there was this sort of consortium of big law firms that came together to help develop this, I, 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 that's not quite clear with the chicken or egg there. I think, I think Skillburst actually kind of brought the consortium together rather than the consortium went to Skillburst. But the, I, I think what, in, in talking, I was talked to the, uh, what's your title, the service excellence partner at Eversheds about their participation in this. And. You know, I'd asked, has there ever been any technology before where you've you've kind of reacted this way on a firm-wide basis in terms of sort of proactively trying to get all your staff trained on it? And you know, there hasn't. Uh, and and I think all of this uh, flurry of activity around developing these training programs is really just a testament to how 
you know, the, the potential impact that everybody believes this is going to have on, on the legal profession uh, and just the potential benefits as well as the potential risks. And a lot of the training is focusing on the risks as well as as well as the benefits. So uh, it's it's almost a kind of like the, the training is interesting, but it's also reflective of this sort of the larger significance of what's going on here, I think. Yeah, and so when I covered that's a, that's the good... ORIC training this summer, which was Alta Claro, you know, they developed it for ORIC. I talked to a couple of the summer associates and they were, it definitely goes farther than just, you know, this is how you craft a prompt. It was teaching them, you know, how to use it responsibly, the risks of it. And I think it really is, I mean, for them to go back to law school and have that exposure when they they start their summer with little little more than knowing what chat GPT kind of even was. I think it's, I mean, that's going to be a huge leg up before it becomes more widely spread. And I'm glad it's becoming more widely spread. Yeah, to Nikki, to your point that this is going to go away sometime soon, <clears throat> you know, how to, how to make some of the inquiries and the prompt engineering may become easier, but it'll still be important for people to kind of understand what is really going on with this technology. I mean, it's, it is different. It's not what we've had before. And you might not be able to master it, but to Bob's point about understanding the risks and benefits, that, that goes beyond knowing how to ask the question. But it also may help you ask the question if you understand a little bit about the technology. So, it, you know, they, I think a lot, of, a lot of interesting training stuff going on. The other thing I'm hearing a lot about is conversational AI. Like after you hear the, ask the first question, the AI is going to come back and ask you clarifying questions, which actually is something that I've been waiting for. I mean, I, I, I'm a big believer in that. I, I think that will help a lot of lawyers clarify their thinking, assuming they get asked good questions. <laughs> well, uh, there were uh, a couple of times, was it this year, I think, when I, when I was able to tease the other panelists because I was invited to some conferences that they weren't invited to. But now Stephanie gets to tease us with her special invite only <laughs> generative AI panel that she got to go to and write a multi-part report on. So go ahead, Stephanie. Go I ahead mean, it could us. have been, yeah, it could have been like four parts, but I had just had to stop it. Um, yeah, I had it on my calendar as super secret AI day for a long time. So that's all I can think of it as because um, it didn't really have a specific title. But yeah, it was, I mean, not sponsored by anyone. It was organized by LexFusion. It was hosted, it was all under Chatham House rules. So unless, I mean, if you see anyone in my article identified it's because they purposely let me, but most things were not even naming. Um, it was hosted at the New York offices of an AMLA 15 firm. It was really, it's the first thing I've ever seen like this, and that was the whole intent, was to get the early movers and to have a lot of open and candid discussions. And that was the whole point of the Chatham House rule, because, you know, we've all been to conferences and there's a lot of theoretical talk, which has its place and is very valuable. But this was people from major law firms and major legal departments getting up there and showing, I mean, they were, they were required to show actual use cases and rooted in data and what they've been doing, and what worked and what didn't work. And it was just, you know, across... It was people who really knew what they were doing. It was really, it was really impressive to be in the room, but um, lots of practical use cases. Some of the big takeaways being it's really, really impressive, but even the early movers are like, we're just in the early days here. We're still a couple of days out from true ROI on this, even though they're making huge leaps and bounds internally. But the thing that really impressed me most and what a lot of people said to me as they were leaving is to have a room that was both 
in-house and legal departments and providers all in one place and nobody was trying to compete with each other. It wasn't a, you know, it wasn't a, oh, we're going to do this, but keep it close to our vest. It sort of is the sense of like, if this is all going to work, we all have to work together. It was part of like a grand experiment of the greater good of helping each other figure out how to get this to work in legal and how to, um, and just share use cases. People are going back with use cases from it. It's hard, it's hard to talk about because it's a little bit, you know, in a vacuum. Um, but it was really, it was like, you wouldn't, it was some of the, the biggest movies. And I know they plan to do it again in other cities. They already have San Francisco planned and London planned. Um, but it, it really is, those are the people that have been doing the most work and are really going to spread it and make it successful going forward, even though, I mean, there's still going to be detractors out there, but it was really, I mean, if you ever get an invite to a super secret AI event, <laughs> take it, it's worth it. So how many how many people were at this thing and what kinds of people were at it? Um it was roughly uh 80 or so. Huh. Um and it was major law firms, major major corporations, people like so either people from, you know, you name the various innovation roles at law firms, they're all different now, you know, they're, you know, but people that are leading the AI and innovation in the top law firms, people um in corporate legal departments at some really Top places, a handful of providers, but fewer, uh, but and some legal ops people, but really the people that are in the trenches trying to make it work in the day-to-day -day workflows, not necessarily just, you know, like figureheads, not necessarily the people you ever really see on panels that much because they're not allowed to speak freely usually. This that's why it, it was a really interesting. I mean, some of them might be the usual suspects that you would expect, but um yeah talking at a level of candor and actual real world use cases that was it was fascinating and then so I, I tried to summarize it there's a lot of um takeaways I wrote in my second article in, in particular it's like a short novel but it's I I recommend if you're curious how people are actually using this but also a lot of what they're honest about what the barriers of it barriers to adoption are too some of it you know training and prompt engineering came up cost came up I mean the the battle for talent and the fact that you still have to get people to use this, like user adoption is still a challenge and trying to start with your, it sounds obvious, but people still keep forgetting it. You know, start with your low hanging fruit, start with your easy wins and pick your, like actually ask your people, what are their problems? And then start attacking those first because that's how you're going to get more adopters that spread the word. Um, yeah, I recommend it. <laughs> All right. Sorry, I was checking my email for invites to secret AI gatherings, but I'm not seeing anything. <laughs> um, all right. Well, from uh, secret AI gatherings to how about we jump to worst legal information mergers and acquisitions? <laughs> so, the, yeah, and this is the sequel. So I had uh, I actually had done the best a couple of weeks ago and I finally finished analyzing the uh, the results of a survey I'd done in July, and I had like almost 80 respondents or 75 or 85 respondents. And, you know, it was interesting, the patterns that developed. And I do think in some ways, the, the thing that was on everybody's mind was case text acquisition by Thomson Reuters. And people the the mergers that people regarded as worse today although they they mentioned tons of mergers the ones that were really still bothering people 
were mer all mergers that had happened 10 years, more than 10 years ago that were still having an impact on them. And so one was Bloomberg because Bloomberg acquired BNA, but they only recently changed the way they license it and people are resisting the new form of licensing. And I think that was sort of more the top of mind one. But number two was the Lexus, act, the Westlaw acquisition of a, a little company called GSI, which was like just a top of the line wonderful, responsive, great technology, great people, great, you know, it, it, it was, it was a, I think in my career, I can't think of many companies that I would use the beloved term for, but it was truly beloved because you had, you know, people who are working with corporate lawyers with deadlines who want obscure technical documents or need you know, archival research before anything was digitized. These people were research geniuses. And then Thomson Reuters bought it and they tried to relaunch it under a number of different brands. And it actually still exists, but buried inside of, of Westlaw as something called Westlaw Business. So that was, I think, the big cautionary tale. And then the other one was Lexus and their bundling. And the one in particular that was highlighted was uh, Law 360, because Lexus is, at least in the large firm market, their position is, well, you can't really understand the, the news unless you have the full Lexus platform, which makes everybody scream, you know, laugh, scream with laughter, because obviously you don't need a full research platform to read the news. But anyway, the, the, I thought one of the, the, the interesting outcomes was advice for future, future mergers. And I thought a lot of the comments were sort of mournful about, and this came up more than anything else, was companies seem to acquire products without understanding why we bought them in the first place. And they don't try and focus on retaining our business or retaining the qualities of the product that were really good. Um, and then the second one was somewhat related is keep the people who understood, you know, who, who, you know, keep the geniuses who created the product around so that they can continue to maintain the quality and the culture and whatever the secret sauce was of the product, don't don't get rid of everybody. And the last one, which is a chronic thing, and I think a real something that everybody's sensitive about right now is reasonable price increases uh, because co small companies get bought by bigger companies and then the price quadruples or something. So uh, unfortunately, some vendors do act as if law firms have, uh, you know, completely elastic budgets that can stretch forever. And especially in this uh, current economic environment, that just isn't so. So um, so it was an interesting exercise. And uh, I guess th those are all the high points. I was I was uh, curious about the, the Law 361. I, I mean, I I don't like that Law 360 is behind the Lexus firewall or paywall rather, <laughs> uh, because I can never read any Law 360 stories and uh, right. I, I can't afford to subscribe to it. But uh, on the other hand, it do certainly does seem that under LexisNexis ownership, they've they've uh, significantly expanded the, the resources and, and the scope and everything else of, of, of that organization. Uh, I mean, it's, you know, I know, I know here in Massachusetts, uh, Law 360 has a, a, a significant, uh, you know, people on the ground covering the courts staff here, which nobody else is doing anymore. Uh, and, 
you know, the, I mean, all the, the local newspapers uh, have pretty much gotten rid of their court reporters. Yeah. It's a thing of the past. Uh, and uh, so there's been some positive that's that's come out of no, that, right? No, I mean, it's, it's a great product. The complaint is you can't buy it if you were to end, at, at least for large law firms, if you were to end your Lexus contract, the research platform, you could no longer buy Law 360. But isn't that the and, point, probably? <laughs> right, from a business perspective? <laughs> but you know, but yes. I do think, I mean, I think the other consequence is that both Bloomberg and ALM, I mean, it is almost like Lexus created a new standard for legal reporting and also the aesthetics of, of legal newsletters. Because the great thing about Law 360 is it had all that white space. It sort of advertised. It was like a vanity press. It highlighted the names of the law firms who were mentioned on the side. And a lot of, you know, people have followed that model. I mean, law for law, uh, ALM is trying to, you know, with their radar, they really are trying to compete with that space. And I think Bloomberg has really redone their newsletters so that they are shorter and punchier. I mean, sadly, they came to the, the to the conclusion that no one wants to read really long, in-depth analyses of new regulations. And so they everybody is following the uh, the Law 360 model. But, you know, interestingly, the other thing that Law 360 did after selling Law 360, they have come up with like uh, other other versions, like one's called Authority and one is called Pulse. And so there's they keep expanding the brand and into other areas. So in case you're not spending enough, you can still spend more money on Law 360. The only thing I have to say is. There's um, services on the internet that are called temporary email services, and you can create a temporary email for 10 minutes. Just gonna throw that out there as an aside. So if there's ever a story you really wanna read. <laughs> oh, interesting. <laughs> there's a way to access uh, it. <laughs> all right. Um, I'm still trying to process that. Maybe, maybe along with that, Temporary email comes comes a new an avatar that that you can use uh, uh, or uh, or something. Uh, somehow yeah. is there a transition there, Steve? Yeah, you <laughs> help me. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, Bob, Bob may remember this. Many others may not. But uh, Sports Illustrated used We're to have about a, old people a printed stuff. magazine. Yeah, printed well, well, magazine. Well, 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 <laughs> and, and the last page always had a column, and the column was entitled, Sure Signs That the Apocalypse Is Upon Us. <laughs> so and it was always kind of quirky things that had happened that you didn't know quite what to make of, whether it was good or bad. So these three things kind of all coalesced this, this week. And one of them is really different, and it, it's, it's meta, formerly known as Facebook, has come out with something they call codec avatars. And what they're doing is instead of these sort of cartoonish kind of avatars that we're all used to, they're now creating avatars, as I think many of us predicted, that actually look like who we are. And, and they've, they've created a technology where in the near future, maybe far future, but the idea is you can take your phone and it will scan your face and pick up your gestures and when you blink and sort of all of that and create an avatar that that is really realistic. And so 
when I say that, it all sounds kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. But if you go watch this podcast, that um, it's a it's a video podcast that Lex Friedman did an interview of Mark Zuckerberg, and they filmed it inside this sort of the 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 metaverse, and it's it is phenomenally realistic. I mean, the light shifts on their faces, and they have gestures not with their hands, but they'll, you know they'll raise their eyebrows, they'll shake their heads, and Friedberg, Friedman was like blown away by all of this. Uh, and I kind of was was too. I'll, I'll put a link to the to the YouTube video in the chat. But I, I thought it was it was quite remarkable. Uh, <laughs> and one of the points that that Zuckerberg made was uh, you put that just to you know, panelists rather than everybody. Oh, it. sorry. Yeah. Uh, all right. Anyway, I'll get to yeah, get it in a second. One of the points that Zuckerberg made was even with these realistic avatars, you can sort of change a little bit how you look for example he said you know this wouldn't apply to me but he hadn't had a haircut in a while but his avatar looked his hair looked short uh, he didn't shave that morning but in his avatar it looked like he had shaved um and so you know he sort of raised the point like well what what does that mean you know what what do we make of that when you can uh sort of do that to yourself this kind of came on the heels of the whole Tom Hanks and Gayla King uh, revelation that that they somebody had used virtual images of each of them to and then made them advertise a product. Tom Hanks, I think, was a dental insurance plan or something like that. And he was, you know, they were like livid about it. Uh, and then Joanna Stern in her blog mentioned another one that I'm sure all of us here know really well the celebrity Mr. Beast, um, <laughs> who apparently had had the same thing happen. And you can actually go watch the Mr. Beast one. It, I couldn't find the ones of Tom Hanks and, and Gayla King. But if you watch the one of Mr. Beast, I mean, it really does look like his true picture. I mean, I don't know what he is, what it looks like. Um, and then the last thing that kind of all of this brought to mind was the Google announcement this week with their new cameras where the, you can take a picture. Like I could take a picture of Nikki and she's not smiling right now, but it, the, 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 the artificial intelligence would allow me to substitute a smiling face of, of Nikki instead of one that's not smiling. And I'm, I'm watching this going. That girly pouch like, she always has. Can I, can I have that I mean, in real uh, life where I can just fake it? <laughs> and then you can move people around in the picture. And, you know, all of it was just like, um, you know, where's all this go with all the deep fakes and not knowing what's real and, you know, how are, how are courts going to know what's real? How are lawyers going to know what's real? How are, how are any of us going to know what's real with all of these, uh, with all of the, this kind of sophisticated stuff? But I would encourage people to go look at the, uh, at the podcast interview because it, it really was, you know, I was, I was sort of like a skeptic of all this metaverse stuff because the stuff that I've seen had been so hokey. But this was, I mean, this was pretty impressive. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know how far along they are with it for, for everybody's use, but it's clearly that's where they're going. So, um, anyway, everybody should go take a look at it and I'll see if I can get this fixed so everybody can. There's a lot of obviously dangerous aspects of it, um, deep fakes and all that. And I think that'll probably be where most of this conversation goes. So I'll quickly put in a 
one of the encouraging ones. This is going to be very useful for the increasingly hybrid uh, econo uh, economy. <clears throat> you know, in the Apple Vision Pro, like because the camera is not facing you, like they have like a cartoonish avatar, uh, a world in which people are constantly trying to have video meetings where they can look like them, like a normal person and indeed look like they aren't, you right. know, sitting poolside or in their bed, like we had a bunch of uh, hearings during the, the pandemic. Uh, that's going to be really useful for uh, the continuation of that economy for whatever that's worth. So that's well, a good you, thing. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting point, Joe, because, you know, everybody, a lot of lawyers complain about, oh, if you use Zoom, you, you know, you, you can't assess the body language. Well, if this technology is realistic, it can't be, and it's not manipulated, you can at least assess, you know, the facial expressions a lot better. You know, Zuckerberg was asked, well, are you going to create arms and legs? And he said, yeah, that, that, that's a lot, that's a lot harder because you have to scan a lot more. And, you know, we're not, we're not that interested in that yet because we want to get the face thing mastered because, you know, that's where most of your expressions come from. Like I just did that, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so, but yeah, you know, it, it, you know, there's some good things. And, and uh, Mitch Jackson wrote a piece in LinkedIn about a trial of the future, um, which, uh, you know, talked about a lot of these technologies and how they could be used for, for good. I'll see if I can find that link as well. Well, so, so what I have in common with Tom Hanks now is that somebody out there is spoofing me on uh, on Instagram and pretending to be me. Not quite, not quite, not a deep fake, but uh, there's a fake Bob Ambrosi on Instagram. I've been hearing, thankfully, uh, from a lot of people all week who've been complaining to Instagram about it. Only Instagram hasn't done anything to take down the fake account, as far as I can tell. But if you get a request from me to buy you a gift card, uh, that is not me. I, I promise you. I'll take, accept gift cards, but I'm not going to ask for them. I have. Um... Oh, yeah. Mr. Beast was giving away, in, in his fake video, he was giving away free iPhone 15s, I think, or something like that. That's now, you know, there anything. is a legitimate question to, to ask here. I mean, people are viewing us like maybe we're all avatars. I mean, we know Nikki maybe is right. We She's are. <laughs> that, is sport, that, that is podcast canon. Uh, uh, I was going to say about Instagram, though. Uh, it's like, it's, you know, it's not spoofing, but there's a someone who became famous through a French singing show's name is Nikki Black and her Instagram name is Hey, it's Nikki Black. And she reached out to me and wanted to buy my uh, my um, handle, which I would sell to her, but I have no idea what to offer. She wanted me to <laughs> offer her. And if anyone out there has any idea of how to value that, let me know because I'll take whatever I can get from her, but I'm not taking like yeah. away for 10 bucks. <laughs> how, how big in, of a star regard, is she? Uh, she's not. She's on upward trajectory. But. Uh, Tom Hanks had an interesting observation, kind of similar to that. He said, you know, like when I'm gone, when I'm, I'm no longer here, are they going to be able to make movies with a Tom Hanks avatar that looks like I looked at some point in time? Well, they've already they done it, it, haven't they? <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think, Carrie, yeah, I think Carrie you're right. Fisher, yeah. Carrie Fisher in Star Wars. Yeah. Yeah. Star Wars movies. Yeah. Like, it's already doing it. And the de-aging of people in it, too. I mean... Legitimate uses of deep fakes are already there, but I mean, obviously that was agreed to, but there it's it's clearly already possible because it's done. Yeah. Do we even need movie stars? We can just generate completely made up 
movie stars and why even bother to have a Tom yeah. anymore? Yeah, they've already created a, there's some celebrity bots. They've taken uh, Snoop Dogg has been scanned with this, this Kodak avatar and he has the name Dungeon Master. And apparently you can go seek it out and have a chat with Dungeon Master, which is would appear to be Snoop Dogg and was really his. I feel like avatar. that's not very PG for this show. I think we ought to just leave that one alone. What Steve does is his private life is not any of our business. I, I'm assuming it's a Dungeons and Dragons game. I assume too. Yes. Oh. Um, but I also love whoever spoofed Tom Hanks was like, let's promote dentists. Like that, that, that was like the winning <laughs> idea of stealing Tom Hanks's likeness. <laughs> Well, the other funny thing he noted is that his the likeness in the advertisement was a young Tom Hanks, not as he appears today. <laughs> so Colin Hanks. It's really just Colin Hanks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. All right. I have, I'm trying to think of a transition to Joe's story, but I don't have anything. So Joe, we're just going to have to transition to your story without a transition. Fair enough. One, I have confirmed the the Snoop thing is he's a Dungeons and Dragons dungeon master and you can play Dungeons and Dragons with the AI bot. One, two. Um, so dispel any of the like weird visions that everyone was trying to encourage and save them for this story where you can use all of those weird visions. So a man has been sent to prison uh, for nine years and the first treason conviction in the UK in 40 years. Uh, this man was attempting to assassinate the queen. Uh, he, he, you know, he could have just waited for time or a stiff breeze, but instead he tried to do it in 2021 <laughs> and was caught. And uh, the part of the prosecution was that he was uh, helped along. He had the idea to, uh, attempt to attempt regicide, but he was helped along by his conversations with his AI chat bot that he was trying to impress. Uh, he had a sex bot or brought a role play chat bot that he was trying to impress and uh, would say that he was planning to do an assassination and they'd say, Ooh, I'm impressed and blah, blah, blah. And, yeah. So, um, I don't he know. Knew it was an AI. He knew it. Yeah. Was oh yeah. AI? No, he was. Yeah. Yeah. See, this is the thing. I, I don't want to I don't want the theme of this show to be that I'm old. But in my day, you know, we tried to impress Jodie Foster. Uh, this is not this is this is all new. Anybody everybody remember Ronald Reagan? Anyway, he got shot yeah. by somebody. Anyway, the point is. Yeah. Uh, yeah, is yes. yeah, 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 yeah. Who's now a folk singer on YouTube, by the way, if you haven't been following, that's what John Hinckley does these days. Anyway, um, little FYI, that's like the cue the NBC, the more you know, uh, logo. Now, uh, so this guy uh, was having all these conversations. And yeah, uh, so he tried to kill her with a crossbow. Um, I guess, I guess kind of in keeping uh, maybe he was role playing the idea of it being a queen in 2020. Uh, with Let's do a crossbow in 2020. Or he was Robin Hood. Yeah, like, right. <laughs> I mean, he was. Yeah. Anyway, this so. honestly all just sounds like it should be like the plot of Zoolander three. Like, does anybody <laughs> like? Like, well, wait, 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 wait. You you go with you go that. I went with. Well, because uh, there was a whole assassination plot. It's like really right. pretty on point. <laughs> right, but my right, but my my takeaway was more. I was more direct with an assassination plot of the Queen uh, when a new 
newfangled technology was used as, as part of an attempt to assassinate the queen in Naked Gun uh, when they tried to make Reggie Jackson kill her. Uh, I mean, it's pretty similar plot lines now that we're talking about it. I never really thought about it where yeah. they like brainwash someone with technology to assassinate a global official. Yeah. Figure as, I, as I say in my piece, though, Reggie Jackson, of course, in real life, life didn't it wasn't a murderer right like when you think about the naked gun movies if just because you put a hall of famer in there as an actor that doesn't mean they're really a murderer of one or maybe two people anyone <laughs> what i'm doing I'm, here i'm speechless <laughs> okay great um okay so there we go. I, oh, the there chat, you go. The chats are getting it. it. All right. So, uh, so yeah, that's a story. Anyway, there's a serious angle to this, uh, but it is a lot of fun up until that serious angle, which is uh, there's a lot of discussion of guardrails. Obviously, we talk about it. Uh, basically, I, I more or less made it my theme that the technology of how to do generative AI at this point, we don't, it works. We know it works. Uh, the problem is going to be channeling it, making it safe, making it not make mistakes. While we talk about it largely in hallucinations uh, in a funny way or in, you know, ingraining more implicit bias into the profession in a serious way. In this instance, there was a lot of talk that this was somebody who had a serious mental issue, who had some issues do with defining the line between reality and not unre unreality, I I'll use rather than just fiction or fantasy there. And uh, when you have a technology that is aimed at blurring that line by intention, uh, what do you do with that? And what kind of guardrails and ethical responsibilities does tech have to deal with that situation and avoid, uh, you know, kind of stoking folks who uh, who need who need help in understanding how to deal with it. Anyway, so that was the serious angle of it too. Uh, but it all comes down to, and how it comes back to legal tech is, it is all about, it, it, this is a guardrails game, folks. Like it's not, the, the tech and moving to GPT-5 is not even really the thing. I'm sure we're going to do that because we're sci scientists are all about coulda, not shoulda. But we're going to move, keep moving that direction. But the real arms race of what makes this tech something that somebody's going to adopt and actually advance is going to be who builds the rails on it better. I like that you made the effort to bring that back home to legal tech because it really had nothing to do with legal tech. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was a tech story about the law, but also I brought it straight to legal tech. All right. It and you can work a mention of Harvey into your story. I didn't. I got Harvey in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, because, yeah, I mean, I, I did it. I brought in Harvey for the gag. I mean, technically, any chat bot is a sex bot if you try hard enough. Um, so are you sure that's a universal truth? I don't know. About <laughs> I mean, we, we know we know that's true. We just had a moment where everybody tried to turn Snoop's Dungeons and Dragons game into so, a sex So the bet. question is, has Joe tried it? That's what we need to know. It, well, I know, that's he's the done it with much confidence, <laughs> and that's what and and that's what I'm saying about Harvey. You you know, <laughs> Harvey can tell know. stories. I don't know. Okay, but we're talking about the, the we're like, talking about the Jimmy Stewart Harvey or the uh, oh yeah, no, the 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 AI one. It, in this yeah. case, I was legal tagging no. it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I've heard comparisons between the two of those <laughs> before because you don't really know either. So I would, know. I would like, yeah. I would like to note for the record that 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 Bob's reference to the to the Bunny Harvey movie 
predates my reference to Sports Illustrated in the <laughs> column on the last page. Swamps all my Reagan jokes, so yeah. <laughs> reruns, Steve, reruns. Of course, that's a reference to a TV, which also predates your... <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, <laughs> like pre-DVR. Yeah, yeah, so you're not helping yourself, Bob. <laughs> all right, all right. Uh, people were asking about AI dating bots. I mean, everyone, we well, did we ever talk about Replica on this show? I, I mean, Replica is involved in this story, isn't it? Is it? Okay. I think I think yeah, ultimately that, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, is, is this a good time to talk about Replica on this show? Oh, I mean, like it straight up is an AI. AI companion is what it's called. People turn companion <laughs> into all sorts of things. Well, and the but, reason we made news lately was because they shut off all the sex features and you have to pay for those now. It used to be people got people got really involved with their robots and felt like, uh, you know, like uh, they loved them and they were so upset. Yeah. All of a sudden, it's just uh, it's, it's just like Law 360, right? <laughs> <laughs> but wait a remember. Minute, didn't the Surgeon General declare a loneliness crisis in the United States? This is definitely not going to help the loneliness crisis and mental health. Well, it, it did before they direction. turned off the features. Apparently a lot of people were like actually complaining about like, like they felt like they had lost a person when they turned off like well, their ability to well, face the Well, get out of the house. <laughs> Does anybody remember what Matt Holman, Does that, did people know Matt Holman? Matt Holman used to be the, he used to do a lot of legal tech conferences. Now he has Girlfriend a conference thing, business yeah. and whatever. Yeah, he did the my virtual girlfriend or something like that, or my- yeah. Fake girl, I forget what it was, but it was like it was like the service for like people who wanted to pretend to have a girlfriend so their parents wouldn't say when you're going to get a girlfriend or something. And he would like email people would get like emails regularly from this fake girlfriend and phone calls and letters and stuff like that. And it was like a real thing. He actually ran that for a while. And he made the news, but it was always a person on the other side pretending yeah. to be. Yeah, it wasn't it, it wasn't AI driven, driven at all. It was like a staff of people who were generating yeah. these emails and phone calls yeah. and stuff. Which Sorry, is... are we talking about we, we I, I I stared away for a second. Are we back on a new, do not pay conversation or what are we talking? No, about? no, this is Matt <laughs> Matt Holman. Do you remember? Do you know Matt Holman? Oh yeah, who, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. He used to have this virtual boyfriend, virtual girlfriend thing. That wasn't what it was called. I forget what it was called, but. I think it was, it was fake it was a, girlfriend, wasn't fake it? Yeah, that's it. My fake girlfriend or something like that. Um, pretty funny. Um, yeah, and Joshua Lennon also. What, what was the, the movie? Her. That's yeah. another. Yeah, yeah I was just gonna say yeah. 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 A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so uh, the story I had this week, uh, I had a bunch of stories this week, but the one I thought I would highlight was this. Uh, news from uh, Zuva and Latera that they had developed a uh, document classification taxonomy for legal professionals and that they were contributing it to the Sally Alliance uh, in order to make it open source so that others can use it. I, um, you know, we, we've talked before uh, about the Sally Alliance on this show, uh, which is this group that's attempting to create a, a you know, a, a basically an industry standard taxonomy uh, to be used by uh, law firms and legal departments and vendors so that uh, uh, to make data more uh, interchangeable uh, and, and uh, uh, more standardized. Uh, and uh, Damian Real uh, works at Fastcase has been kind of doing uh, the lion's share of the, the work and kind of developing that taxonomy over the last couple of years. But, uh, 
but now uh, it, it sort of took a, a step forward, I guess, this week with with the the fact that Zuva and Latera uh, contributed this. And, and Zuva, of course, is is the company that spun out from Kira after Latera acquired Latera. I mean, uh, Kira, and uh, apparently Zuva, Latera, Kira, Zuva had already been working on this, uh, trying to build out this kind of taxonomy before the acquisition and at the time of the acquisition got an agreement with Latera that they would continue to partner on continuing to develop it so um it it's uh you know it's it's nice that they've developed it and and it could have been uh somewhat of a competitive advantage for Zuva and Latera to just keep it to themselves for their own purposes uh but uh, it, rather than do that they decided to contributed to Sally and, and make it open source, which I think is kind of commendable and uh, reflective of this sort of broader recognition that we do need to start to have a, a standard language uh, around data in, in the legal field. And I, there's other efforts out there to standardize data classification in legal, but uh, Sally does seem to be getting uh, the most momentum these days. And uh, so uh, uh, this is, uh, I thought that was kind of cool of them to do that. And where's my story? I put my story in the. Uh... Uh, that's all I got. Anybody else I mean, it's kind else? of a letdown after virtual girlfriends, but you know. <laughs> yeah, I was looking for my. I, I once, I, I used to write. I always used to write an April Fool's post until it came back to haunt me one year uh, when I when it, it caused problems and somebody believed one of my April Fool's posts. But at one point I played off of Matt's thing and did one about the my fake lawyer or something like that. And again, some you always get these people who think you're writing something real when you write these fake posts and uh, it, it always has consequences. Mm -hmm. Oh, I um, thought that was do not pay. <laughs> right, all right. Um. You mean that that wasn't real? <laughs> I wrote fake, an the fake girlfriend thing was real. Yes. I wrote an April's Day post <laughs> just for the panelists one year, and in retrospect, it may not have been an April Fool's joke. <laughs> I'm not getting it. Oh you know, yeah, you all know. Yeah, do we know that? Mm. The, the worst one I did was I wrote something one year about uh, Barack Obama having proclaimed a National Legal Technology Day or something like that. And I remember that one. <laughs> and and I, I got people who were really incensed and angry because they thought it was real. And, and they had, I forget, they had like taken the day off or something. I don't know what it was. It was like, <laughs> just bizarre, the, the feedback I got on that. Anyway, oh, I know. As people, people were telling me they had come to trust trust me as a, as you know, trust my blog and trust me, and they were just outraged that I would put something not true on my blog, and no, they didn't trust anything I would write ever again after that. And that That's, was such a controversial topic, Bob. Too. I mean, yeah, <laughs> right, right. What's the line, animal? Times have changed. We were so young and naive then. Mm. Uh, before the before the era of fake news, I guess. All right, but well, I know, like, uh, for whoever yeah. in the comments said, you know, this show went off the rails today, I remind them to revisit the day we talked about a camera strapped to a bear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm trying. This was nothing. <laughs> the best ones are uh, the best ones are the ones that uh, go off the rails. Yeah. Um, 
All right. Well, we will see. Uh, hopefully, uh, some of you folks in, in the chat and listening to the show will be at uh, CleoCon next week, and we'll see you there or later in the week uh, in New York. And uh, Gene, we won't get to see you next week, but uh, you won't see me next week. Yeah. And actually, I, I don't know that I can do this next Friday because I'm going to be. Well, maybe we'll see. We can probably we can probably figure out a time to do the show next week um, if people want to do it. And we can talk about CleoCon and everything else that happens next week. So until then, hope everybody has a great week and see some of you in Nashville and see you next Friday. Enjoy. Bye. Have a good weekend, everybody. Bye.